Amen. So we are in part three of our DNA series. And so the idea of this series, for those of you who maybe this is your first Sunday here, um, we just want to kind of fill you in on what, what we have covered and where, and where we're at right now. But this, this series is about explaining what the DNA of, of, of a church is. What, what is a church? How does a church function? How should a church function? And so I also have another objective in this series is that I, I want to kind of show you that the DNA that Living Word Church has had for over 38 years is going to continue to be the same DNA, that we're not changing big parts of who we are as a church because the, the, what made Living Word Church, Living Word Church for 38 years was founded on God's Word, and that's never going to change. And we're going to continue to be who God's Word tells us we should be. And so we talked about, in the beginning, we talked about what, what is a church and what does a church do when they gather? What is important that we do? And then last week we, 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 we talked about the power of God's Word and how God's Word should be the central point of everything that we do as a church. And so today what we want to look at is we want to look at growing spiritually. Growing spiritually as, as individual Christians but as, a, as, a, as the body of Christ. And so... When we're, taking, when we're talking about growing spiritually, you know, growing spiritually is something that you sign up for as a believer. When you become a Christian, whether you want to grow spiritually or not, the Holy Spirit is committed to you becoming more like Christ. And so this is a journey that you sign up for when you become a Christian. You sign up for this journey, this progression of becoming conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. How many of you know when you first get saved, you don't have it all together? Did anybody in here have it all together when you got saved? Uh, you're probably not saved yet if you think that you had it all together. But nobody has it all together when you become a Christian. You just, that's not how it works. We, we, we don't have it all together and we need lots of help from the Holy Spirit to help us become conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, but what's unique about this journey that we're in, what makes it a challenge, is that we live in this world, and we have a flesh, right? And I'm convinced that the enemy of your soul and the enemy of my soul does not want us as believers to look like Jesus. He does not want us as believers to, act, to, to think like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to respond like Jesus responded when he walked the earth. The enemy of our soul, Satan, wants to take us as believers and make us ineffective for the purpose of kingdom expansion. You know, God desires that you would be used just like, look, look, all these volunteers that, 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 that volunteer for us every Sunday and they volunteer for these outreaches and, and all these things that we do. It's all a part of the expansion of the kingdom of God. And what the enemy wants you to believe and wants you to do is to get distracted, to get sidetracked, to get overwhelmed with the burdens of this life, to get sidetracked by sin, to get sidetracked by the things of this world. And, and he is in a fight. Whether you believe it or not, as a Christian, the enemy is fighting against you. He is against you. He wants you to fail. He doesn't want you to be a successful, prosperous, fruitful Christian. He wants you to be marginal. He wants you to just kind of float around in life, love the Lord, Go to church. He's okay if you attend church, right? Just come attend church, hear a good message every now and then, and, and just kind of be marginal. That's what he wants for us as Christians. And so I believe it is increasingly difficult in this world as our culture, as our culture gets increasingly dark 
And you guys can all attest to this, right? We live in a dark world. And it's not getting any better. Do you guys believe it's getting any better? I don't believe it's getting any better. It is getting increasingly dark in our culture, in, in, in our world. And it is becoming more difficult for believers to grow in their relationship with the Lord. And so here's what, here's what I want to say to you. It is my job, and it is the job of the pastors on, this, on, on our staff to help you grow spiritually to help you mature in the faith, to help you to understand how to live in this world, how to process the things. You know, look, we have so many media outlets that are, that, 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 that are put before our eyes and our ears on a regular basis, and they are, they are pushing forth uh, uh, images and messages into our minds constantly, and we are exposed to so many things, and it is our job, it is my job as a pastor to help you to navigate the minefield that is our culture. And it is hard. It is a challenge. Listen, how many of you have struggled with sin in your life? I'm going to raise my hand with you, right? We're in a battle. It's a battle against sin, against temptation and sin. It's a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we need help. You need help. We all need help. And there is victory and there is hope to be found through the word of God, through the body of Christ, through prayer. And it is our job to help you. And so this is going to always be a major part of our DNA. Is that we will be a church that, that, that we center on helping believers mature in their faith. Helping, arming believers with the tools that you need to fight off the enemy. To resist temptation. To become more like Christ in your marriage. To become more like Christ in how you raise your kids. To become more like Christ on your job. To become more like Christ in every area of your life. That is a part of our DNA. And so Ephesians chapter 4 gives us a picture of, of, my, of our responsibility, of my responsibility as a pastor. Let's look at what it says there in Ephesians 4. It says, and he gave, the Lord gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. Shepherds and teachers. They both mean the same thing, a shepherd and a teacher. Teaching pastors. And what did he give them to the church for? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To what? Mature manhood. To maturity. To the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. So Christ is the standard, right? Christ is the standard. And so God's given pastors and teachers so that the body of Christ can, can, can look at the standard of Christ as the word of God is preached and so we can move up towards that stature towards that standard become more like him so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love this is maturity here speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him into christ who is the head from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is, this is what we're here for. This is, this is what scripture tells us that, that my job is and our pastoral staff's job is, is to help us all to grow to the maturity of the image of Jesus Christ. You guys want to sign up for that? You guys up? You guys game for that, right? If you've been here for years and years, you, you have been consistently faithful to submit yourself to that process and that part of our DNA is never going to change. And this process that we're talking about 
It's called the process. The biblical term is called sanctification. Sanctification. And so sanctification, this process that we find ourselves in after we get saved, is a progressive thing for the rest of our life. And the word sanctify, sanctification, means to be set apart. To be set apart. And so what it means to enter into the process of sanctification as a Christian, it means that you daily set yourself apart unto God in holiness. You set yourself apart unto God to love him and to serve him and to become like him every single day. You are being sanctified. You are saved and now you're going to be sanctified. And one day when you die, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to be glorified. And this flesh will be no more and you will be given a glorified body to worship the Lord Jesus Christ forever. But from the point of salvation to the point of being glorified, we're in this middle ground. I preached a message a couple of years ago called Point A to Point Z, right? Point A is salvation, point Z is heaven, and the middle ground is called spiritual growth. It's called sanctification. But there's, a, there's something that I, I want to explain to you this morning because it's so very important. Becoming like Christ in the ways in which we think and talk and act and the actions, the good things that we do that honor God, those things are not the grounds on which we become saved. And they do not keep us saved. Do you guys follow me? Being like Jesus is not what keeps you saved. When you get saved, you get saved, right? And so there's, there's a difference between justification and sanctification. To be justified means that you are declared right before God. And so what I want to do is, before I get into some practical means that we as a church are going to help you grow spiritually, I want to talk about the difference between being right with God and saved, being justified, and being sanctified. So becoming more like Jesus in the ways in which we think and act are not the means by which we are justified before God. Becoming more like Jesus, I think we have that up there, becoming more like Jesus in the ways in which we think and act are not the means by which we are justified or made right before God. How are we justified? How are we made right? By faith. We are justified or we made right and free of guilt before God by faith alone and by grace alone in Jesus Christ. By faith alone and by grace alone. It's not, it's it's apart from works. Ephesians says that it is apart from works so that no man can boast. So if you are made right because of your good works, if that's how you become right with God, then that means you can boast about it. You can brag about it. If, if, If it's not faith that makes you right and it is your good works, then that means you can go around with a swelled head. And you can go around and walk around saying, hey, look, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. And, and also, on, on the other side, if, if that's how we are made right with God, then when you stop doing the right things, and you stop living the way you should live, then, then, then you have a sense that you're no longer a Christian. But how many Christians sin here this morning? <laughs> like I said, again, we all can raise our hand, right? So, so, It's so important that we understand the difference between being justified and being sanctified. So let's look at scripture. Romans 3 tells this. This is what we're speaking about here. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Did you guys catch that? The righteousness of God, being right with God, is manifested apart from what? The law. Apart from obeying the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through what? Faith in Jesus Christ for all who 
believe. So righteousness comes through belief and faith. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned. All are guilty. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. It's not, it's not, by, it's not by your works. You're not justified by your works. By being good enough. Justification, being made right with God is, is a free gift. And it's through your faith and belief in Jesus Christ. They are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And if we keep going in Romans 4, that was Romans 3. Let's let's look at Romans 4. Paul says this again. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, by being good, he has something to boast about. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians. If he is justified by works, he has something to boast about. Listen, this is so good, but not before God. So if you boast in your good works, you have nothing to boast about before God because God doesn't look at your good works and say, hey, because of your good works, then you're right before me. That's not how it works. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, belief, faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works for his righteousness, his wages are not counted as a gift. But as his due. So if you work for something, what should you get? You should get a paycheck, right? Right? So if we work for our salvation, if that's the, the system, then if we work good and we work hard enough and, and we try to be good enough, well then, hey, I deserve, because of what I worked, that God would make me right with him. But God didn't set it up that way. He didn't set it up that way. It is by belief and faith in Jesus Christ. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted to him as, as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. This is what David said. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So justification, being right with God, Being declared right before God is not based on works. It's based upon belief and faith. And it is a gift of God. God justifies you and and saves you by a free gift of his grace. How many of you know you don't deserve to be saved? None of us. That's what it says in Romans 3. For all are guilty and all fall short of the glory of God. God's standard is what? It's perfection. It's the perfect righteousness of a holy God. And every single one of us fall short of that standard. Every single one of us cannot be perfect, are not perfect, and will never meet that perfect standard. And so all of us are without hope apart from the free gift of the grace of God in salvation. And what God does is is that when the gospel is preached and we hear that we fall short of that perfect standard and faith rises up in our hearts and we believe in Jesus as the Son of God, this is what God does. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, through our faith in Jesus Christ, in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's what happens at justification. When we are justified before God, God takes the very righteousness of God and he imputes it to you. He gives it to you. And so now when God looks at you, he sees the, right, the perfect righteousness of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's what he sees. 
That's what the Father sees when he sees you. It's not based upon your good works. He doesn't look at you one day as a believer and say, man, Miko's been doing really good this week. He has been knocking it out of the park. He's been patient with Pat really well. He's doing really good. He's loving his kids really well. He's being an awesome worship pastor this week. So I think he's pretty good this week. But what, what, what about the week he bombs it? Pat, does he ever bomb it? No, he never really bombs it. But we just will pretend that Miko bombs it. But let's just say he has a week where he bombs it, right? We all bomb it some weeks. God doesn't look at us as believers and say during that week that we bombed it, oops, oops, well, you know, they kind of, they, they lost their justification. They lost their right standing with me. So now, not, not Miko's got to start earning that back again. He's got to start earning that favor back again. That's not how it works. To be justified before God is a legal declaration from God by your faith. And the gift, your faith is a gift from God, it says in, in Ephesians 2. And so when you're justified, God declares you justified and it is done. And that means that, that before the throne of God, the, the God, the judge of this earth, the judge of humanity looks at you forever as righteous in his sight. And it's not your righteousness, it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a bargain, right? I mean, what, what an exchange. My imperfect nature, who I am, my flesh, my sin, my unrighteousness, and I get to exchange it for the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it's the greatest gift of all time. Apart from Christ, we have no hope. We have no hope. We have no hope to be right with God. And that is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that to be right with God, it it has to come through Jesus Christ. It it, it is such a beautiful picture. It's such a beautiful truth that we preach. And that's what makes the good news so good, is that we are infinitely guilty and incapable of pleasing God on our own, apart from Christ's spirit. And by his grace, by a free gift, through our faith, God gives us his righteousness. Let's look at John 15, 5. I'd like to read this. This is, this is a picture here of what takes place at salvation. Before we get to sanctification, here's what happens. I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, in Christ. This is the same picture. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what I want to do to illustrate, as we're talking about justification, the difference between justification and sanctification, I've got a tree I would like for you to look at. So here's a tree. A tree looks pretty dead, right? I couldn't get a a real tree to illustrate what we're we're about to show here. But notice the branches up top. There's there's nothing green. There's no fruit hanging from the tree. All right, so this is a dead tree. This is you and I before salvation. This is us. There's there's no amount of good works that we can do in this position that can please God. Now, can can unsaved people do good things? Absolutely. They can do good things all day long, right? They can can give to charity. They can can be a good neighbor. They can can have good thoughts. They can do good deeds. But the, the problem is, is that when they try to do good deeds, this is what it's like. It's like trying to staple. We've got a little graphic motion here. It's like trying to staple. You guys like that? That's pretty good. <laughs> trying to staple fruit to a dead tree. And what happens? It falls off, right? 
That's what it's like when an unbeliever who has not been justified, is a dead tree, has not been grafted into the vine and connected to the right nutrients. Their root system is broken. But what happens when you're, just, when you're justified and you're made right before God? Well, I got a little graphic for it. Let's look what happens. This is what happens. It's amazing, right? Here's what happens. The nutrients of the Holy Spirit starts flowing through your tree. And look, I know this is pretty Sunday schoolish, but I thought it was cute, right? And this is what happens. Fruit begins to take place in your life. So we are like trees. And, and before we were dead, our root system was corrupted and incapable of producing fruit. And, and that's what you do as a non-believer. You're just stapling good things to your life. I'm trying to be good enough. I'm trying to earn God's approval. I'm, 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 I have this constant sense of guilt that I can't get rid of. And so we try to be good enough, and all it is, it is vain. It's a vain attempt to please God. The only thing that pleases God is faith. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. And so when you, when you are not believer, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you got a brand new root system. And that root system was infused with the nutrients of the power of the Holy Spirit, and it infuses your tree. But what's interesting is, is that, just you saw that tree all of a sudden was fully green, right? It didn't happen that way. This is the process, and this is what we're talking about. We're talking about sanctification, becoming right with God. And slowly but surely, the tree gets greener. Slowly but surely, you see a, a, the, a, fruit, a fruit of the Spirit pop up on that branch, and a fruit of the Spirit pop up on that branch, and this is the process that we are in. This is Christianity. We are given a new heart. A new root system. Our old root system was dead and incapable of producing spiritual life. But here's the kicker. The, the new heart, the, the new heart, the new root system with its new desires, what's the difference now? It dwells in an unredeemed flesh. It dwells in an unredeemed flesh that must be trained to obey new ownership. So here's what's happened before you were saved. Your flesh, your flesh, your mind, your will, your emotions, your physical body, your flesh obeyed the current owner of your life. And who is the current owner of your life? Your sinful nature. Right? So you just obeyed your sinful nature. But whenever you had a root system change, what happens? In Galatians 2.20, it says what? We are crucified with Christ. It's nevertheless, not I that lives, but Christ lives in me. So we get a whole new nature. So as a believer, we have a new nature in Jesus Christ. My old man is dead. It's dead. If you're a believer here this morning, your old man is dead. He's long gone. He's been dead. He's been crucified. He's buried. Dirt is over his face. And you are one new man in Jesus Christ. You're one new person. But here's the difference. Here's what, here's what sanctification is. It's that new nature that has risen to new life has to train that flesh that was trained by the buried old man. You guys follow me? That buried old man trained your flesh to obey its past impulses. But now, your new man, your new nature in Jesus Christ, has to train your flesh. And this is the battle that we're in. And listen to what Scripture says. Philippians 2.12 says this, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but m- much more in my absence. Listen to this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Ben. I just thought you told me I didn't have to work for my salvation. 
That's absolutely true. You don't have to work for your salvation. It's a free gift. What's Paul saying here in, in Philippians 2? He's saying that we should work out what Christ has worked in. Christ has worked in and changed our root system. And so that word work has the idea of a pattern of, of, of a lifestyle, a direction of your life. And you live out, you work out what Christ has worked in. If you go further in 2 Peter. So in Philippians, we're called to work out what Christ has worked in. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort. Work out. Live out and then make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're called to work out and to and to make every effort. How, how many of you guys work out? Women work out. I've joined Planet Fitness <laughs> in January. And as you can tell, I, I've not been working out. I went twice. <laughs> right? Our physical body, my flesh is not trained. Right? But, but I'm, I'm listening to my spirit, man. And I'm, I'm reading the Bible. And I'm spending time with the Lord. But, right? but that's the same idea. We work out. I don't have an inward motivation to exercise. I have an inward motivation to play golf. But not to exercise. But when you get saved and we're in this process of sanctification, I have an inward motivation to work out my spirit man, to exercise my spirit man. And I make every effort. I pursue godliness. Why? Because I desire to do it now. But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Before we, We're almost getting to, to, to the practical points here. But here's the kicker. This is, so, this is the crux of it all. You couldn't save yourself. It's only by God's grace that it is a gift of God. And you, you, you can't live your, your own spiritual life either. You, you, you can't do it. It's impossible. You can't live your spiritual life. If I were to ask you, who lives your Christian life? What would you say? You would say, would you say you? I do it. <laughs> Is that the right answer? Right. But, but, I mean, you're the one who does it, right? But who would we say does it? Well, let's look. So we looked at Philippians 2. And we looked at 2 Peter. Well, let's look at the verses that we didn't read yet. Philippians 2.13, right after he says to work out your own salvation. For it is God who works in you both to will. What is a will? It, it, it is a desire. He works in you both to will and to work. He tells you to work it out. But it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is the power of his spirit that is at work in you that motivates you to live right before him. And let's look at 2 Peter. He told us that we needed to make every effort. Well, the verse right before he says that, he says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's God's power in us at work that motivates us to be right with him, that motivates us to work out and to pursue and to make every effort to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, I'm done with the theology. Okay, that, that, was, that was a theological lesson there, right? We, we went to Bible house there for about 10 minutes. But that is so important because, it, because in your life, you need to know. You need to know that if you're a Christian, you are his. You are justified. You belong to him. And no amount of good works that you do or don't do, it, it cannot change that. 
Because if it can, then that means your salvation is up to you. And I don't want my salvation to be up to me. Because that means I've I got to get saved every, I gotta get saved before I preach to you next week. If that's the case. And don't you want to save pastor? Right? So, so, look, my salvation is his work. And me becoming like him is his work. And I want you to know the Lord of the church, through the power of the spirit, is committed to you becoming more like Christ. And if you are genuinely his, you're going to change. If you're genuinely his, you're going to be convicted. When, when you don't respond correctly. When I'm mean to my wife, and I'm never mean to her, but when I possibly am mean every now and then to her and my kids, I promise you, I know it. And my heart, no, not because she tells me. We don't have that type of thing going on. But man, my heart knows it. I am pierced to, the, to my core. And even when I hang on to, to, to my right to be right, man, I know it and I feel, I feel lousy. You know what that is? It's the Holy Spirit's work in me. It is proof that I belong to God. It's proof that I'm justified. This is why it's so important. So now let's get to the practical stuff. You guys ready for the practical stuff? How do we, what are the ordinary means the Holy Spirit uses to help us grow spiritually or be sanctified? We talked about this the first two weeks. Number one, the powerful word of God that washes and renews. You have to be in the word. This is the tool, the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to make you more like Christ. Ephesians 5 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, he might set her apart unto holiness, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So, what's he talking about here? Well, verse 32 says what he's talking about. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here's the picture. We are to be sanctified. And what's the primary tool that the Holy Spirit uses? It's the washing of the word of God. It washes our mind. It cleanses our thoughts as we are living in a crazy world and we're hearing these messages from all kind of different avenues that are anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible. We need a washing of the word of God in our mind and in our thoughts. I desperately need it. You desperately need it. We need to constantly be plugged in to the power of God's word so it can wash our mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of God washes and it renews. It scrubs out all the junk that we've picked up during our day and our week as we're into God's word. And it renews us, gives us new thoughts about how we should live and what pleases God. And now we know how to walk according to his will. John Piper says this, if you long to break loose from conformity to the world, if you long to be transformed and new from the inside out, if you long to be free from mere duty-driven Christianity and do what you love to do because you love to do is what you ought to do, if you long to offer up your body as a living sacrifice so, so that your whole life becomes a spiritual act of worship and displays the worth of Christ above the worth of the world, then give yourself with all your might to pursuing this. 
the renewal of your mind. Because the Bible says this is the key to transformation. It is the key. That's the first practical thing that we're going to do as, as a church. And I talked to you about it in week one and week two. We're going to constantly bring the word of God before you so that your mind can be washed. But you need it in your everyday life. The second practical way that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and makes us like Christ. Secondly, it's through the persistent prayers of the saints. The persistent prayers of the saints. Ephesians 6.18 says this. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I want you to know that prayer is a powerful means that the Lord uses to make you like Him. You know, there's sometimes in your life where you, you've got blind spots. How, how, how many of you know you have blind spots? There's areas that you don't see. And you may have a mother, a grandmother, a husband, a wife, a child, that they can see the thing that you're blinded to. And one of the things that the Lord uses is the persistent prayer of the saints. People that love you to pray for you. There are so many of you here this morning. You're here today. You're a believer in Jesus Christ because somebody prayed for you long before you saw the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You had a praying grandmother that, as they used to say back in the day, they grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar, and they didn't let go, right? They persisted in prayer, and God used that prayer in your life so that you could, could, could find Jesus Christ, so, you, so, so that the Holy Spirit would begin to work in your life. You know, I'm, I'm a part of, I'm, I'm part of, a, uh, of an app called GroupMe. Who has GroupMe here? You guys got GroupMe? How many are part of groups on GroupMe? That, that, that you pray for each other. And I just love it. I will get this note, I will get notifications. I'm on two or three different groups. And, and I'll get a notification on GroupMe and I'll see a brother in Christ that will give a prayer request. That's actually when I first heard about Sam Sanderson's issue. I got a, a, a notification from his son-in-law, Chris Price. And I looked at it and I, 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 I had never known that about Sam. I never known that that was going. That specific issue was going on, and his son-in-law put that on grouping the other the group of other men, and we immediately begin to pray. Right? That is the power of prayer in our life. It is a support to it, it, it is a support to you in your weakest, darkest days, and we need prayer that way. And our personal prayer life is so powerful. That when, when, whenever we're struggling and we're overwhelmed with sin and temptation, that we go before the Lord and we pray, but we do it with perseverance and with persistence. We need each other to pray. This is why I love this time right here. This time when we pray for each other. It's why it's so powerful is that we have men and women of God that come down here. And they're down here for no other reason but to link arms with you and to connect in faith about the situation that you're dealing with. And God uses that to help you to, to be encouraged. Some of you, you come down here and, you, and you've lost your hope. You have no peace. You feel overwhelmed. And you come down here and you have a divine appointment with a prayer counselor, with a pastor. And they link hands with you and they pray for you. And the Spirit of God, you leave encouraged and strengthened by His Spirit. God uses His Word and He uses prayer in your life personally and corporately as a body of Christ to strengthen us, to encourage us. It's, it's an ordinary thing that God does, His Word and prayer. Thirdly, a third, an ordinary thing that the Lord uses, that God uses to make us more like Him, thirdly, is the fellowship 
and spiritual encouragement we experience within the body of Christ. This is the third area. The fellowship and the spiritual encouragement we experience within the body of believers. Let's look at Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another. He said, brothers, brothers, exhort one another every day. Every day day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin what's our calling as a body of christ to exhort each other every day this is why we this is one of the great benefits of gathering as a body of believers is that you can have a brother and a sister that will exhort you every day when you walk in here whether it's on a sunday morning you're at or maybe you're at a men's meeting or you're at a women's meeting and you walk in and your shoulders are drooping and your countenance is down A brother or a sister will look at you and encourage you and lift you up and encourage you every day. It is a strength. God uses it for our sanctification, for our spiritual growth. Or maybe you come in and you've been dealing with sin. You've been dealing with an area that you're struggling with. And they encourage you to not believe the lies of the deceitfulness of sin. To believe what God's word says about what is true, what is right, and what is holy. Hebrews 10 says this, let us consider how to stir up, again, encouraging, stirring up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is what happens. This is an ordinary thing that God sets up when we gather together as a body of believers. He sets up for us to grow spiritually. And you know, I know that some people Some people in our world today, in our culture today, have given up on the church. They've given up on organized organized religion. They they believe that it's it's seen its last day. But you know what? I I don't believe that. And I don't believe that because I'm a pastor. But I, I believe that we see a pattern in Scripture that shows us that we need each other. When you look at the only when you look at the early church. And you see how they depended upon one another, even for their very life. You see that, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need one another. And maybe some of you, you're here this morning, and, 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 you, and you, 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 you're not connected. And you're distant. Maybe some of you, you come into church on Sunday mornings, and you kind of fly under the radar. I just want you to know that sometimes... When you come in, you're struggling alone. And you feel that. You feel like you're struggling all alone. I want you to know that God has given this church and these body of believers as a gift to you. We are a gift to one another. We're not in this alone. We should not be in this fight alone. This fight against sin, against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're not by ourselves. And God gives us his word and the power of prayer. But he gives us each other. And he gives us the body of Christ to depend upon to be a support and a strength. And this is what I want. This is what I want the DNA of our church to be, that we are not just a bunch of individuals that come and and we sit down and we stand up and we sing and we sit down and we stand up and we leave and we have no lasting connection with one another. Do you know what it takes? It takes a commitment for individual people to determine that that will not be what I do. That will not be what I do. And yes, it is easier in a building this size to come in and slip in under the radar. 
It is easy to come and just do your spiritual service and to never be touched, to never be prayed for, to never have a brother or a sister look at you in the eye and talk to you. It's easy to do that. But that's not what I want for our church. I want our bigger church to be smaller. I don't want us to lose people, but I want the people that are here to have a love for one another, to care for one another. That's what I want the DNA of this church to be because I believe this is one of the primary ways that God helps us to grow spiritually. You know, I was trying to think of all the different ways that our church gives you an opportunity to grow spiritually, practically speaking. You know, I've, I've heard over the years of being a part of Living Word Church that, man, they don't do anything at this church, right? They're just a big church and they got, you know, but they just don't give you opportunities to do anything. I, you know, I've heard people say, well, they don't, you know, give opportunity for people to serve and do outreach and missions and I've started making a list. There's 20, 22, 22 things that you can do and be a part of to connect with each other, to serve together, to be poured into on a regular basis. So listen to this. First thing is teaching scripture from the pulpit. It's the obvious one, right? Because God uses his word to make us more like him. So me and Brother Freddie and Brother Matt and other men that will come will teach the word of God and you're going to grow spiritually. Secondly, growth track classes. We're going to be starting these. So this is a little soft announcement on that. Starting May 6th, we'll have our first week. It's similar to the foundation classes, but it's going to be about one week shorter and they're going to happen more often. So if you want to become plugged in and serve at Living Word Church in the future, you go through growth track classes, but what growth track classes are going to do, it's going to help you grow spiritually. Thirdly, we have life groups led by Billy and Jamie Dishman. They are facilitated by Billy and Jamie, and you have multiple life group leaders that are here this morning. And what do life, group, what do life groups do? It's a way for you to personally connect with the brother and sister in Christ. We have children's ministry led by Matt and Chandra. And this is a way for our children to hear the word of God taught on their level so that they can grow spiritually. We have Elevate Youth Ministry with, with Dominic and Jackie. And every Wednesday, Dominic and Jackie are bringing, I, I, I want you to know, Dominic and Jackie are doing a phenomenal job with Elevate. So I say, say a little special note here. You know, I, I, I went through a transition here at Living Word Church. And it, was, it has been one of the most grueling things of my life to go through this transition. I have felt the weight of this burden on my shoulders, uh, and it has affected me emotionally, physically. Dominic went through the same thing. We had a youth pastor, Josh Bourgeois, for over six years who did a phenomenal job. He was a great youth pastor, laid a foundation and a legacy. Then we had a second youth pastor that came in, and we transitioned him in, and he did a great job. Dominic had to come not too long after Derek left. And he had two different types of leadership strategies that were still impacting the youth ministry. You had remnants of Josh, and you had remnants of Derek, and then you had Dominic. Hey, here I am, and I got who God made me to be. So once you know, he's doing an amazing job navigating that transition period. So you can trust Dominic and Jackie to teach your teenagers about Jesus Christ. Elevate the, 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 the LWC young adults led by Caleb and Tiffany Bourgeois. You can come on Friday nights at their house. If you're 18 to 25 years old, you can get plugged in with people your age and learn about Jesus Christ and grow in your faith. We've got Homa Christian School, led by Jimmy Champagne. Where did he go? He's gone. He's gone. He was here earlier. He was sitting right there. But Jimmy Champagne and the rest of the faculty and staff at the school, it's an avenue for us. You know, every Friday, 
at Homewood Christian School, the gospel gets preached to over 300 junior high and high school students, whether they're believers or not. That's amazing. I get to, I've, I get to speak it there at least once a year. I'm blown away. When I, when, when I look at what goes on there, I think, look, I, I think 50% or more don't know the Lord. And we get up there, we open the Bible, and we tell them Jesus is the only way, and he loves you and has a plan for your life. It's amazing. What an opportunity. Home of Christian school. We get women's ministry with Kara Castile. And a lot of you women, you, you are involved, but this is an opportunity for you to be involved. Look, the, the, the women are always doing something. If they're not doing something next week, they will probably will be the next week, right? There's something always planned. Women love to get together and study and, 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 and have, we got a conference coming up, right? It's such a great opportunity to come as a woman of God, seeking the Lord, to be encouraged by sisters in Christ. You have men's ministry led by Matt, Matt Carnes. We meet the first Monday of every month. And we also do some, some supplemental Bible studies. It's an opportunity for men to come and gather. We have marriage ministry led by Bud and Vicki Cluche. We just had, who, who was at the marriage conference? What an amazing marriage conference. It was a video simulcast. Yeah, you can clap. It was an amazing marriage conference. If you were in the foyer out there and you were under the lights, under the awning, it was so beautiful. All the volunteers that work to pull it off, what an amazing thing. And we will continue, Bud and Vicky will continue to put out things that will strengthen our marriages, help us grow spiritually. Worship ministry led by Miko and Pat Carlos. What an amazing ministry. If you want to serve and grow in your spiritual gifts in music and you have a calling for that, God can use you here. I told you there's 22 of them. We're halfway through. Hang in there. We're, we're almost done. We have Sunday morning prayer, right? We have this time where we pray for each other. It's a way that God uses to help us grow spiritually. We have an intercessory prayer team, and, and, and Freddie and Nadine lead this prayer ministry here. There's, a, there's an intercessory prayer team that meets every day, every Sunday. They meet in the missions room, and they pray for you. And they pray for this church. They pray for the service. They're praying that you would grow spiritually, that you would understand who you are in Jesus Christ. you got First Wednesday prayer that's coming up. Here's another new thing that's going to happen. Coming up April 4th. I'm asking you to gather and pray as a church, April 4th. We're going to pray. Pray for each other. Pray for our community. Pray for the nations. Pray for the world. We're going to pray for revival in our area. We're going to pray according to the will of God. We're going to pray his word. First Wednesday prayer. LWC serve team. I could have had like 30 things to list, but, but I, I just did LWC serve team. That's the ushers. That's the greeters. That's the golf cart people. That's guest services. That's Hebrews. That's all these other areas that fall under LW Surfing, that's, that's the security team, all these different areas, you can get involved. That's the media team. You can get involved. You can serve. And by serving, you grow in your faith. All right? Then you've got the meal train ministry led by Brian and Amy Harper. What a great opportunity with the, with the meal train. You have people within the body of Christ that are going through trials and difficulties. And what can happen? You can serve them by cooking a meal for them and being a blessing to them. Then you've got the Grief Share Ministry led by Joanne Alamal and Cindy Johnson. What a great blessing that is to our church. And they've been doing this for years. People that are going through grief of losing a loved one. And they bring support and help. You have jail ministry. There are ladies that go to jail. My wife goes and other ladies that go to the Ashland Jail and visit the women in jail. What a great opportunity. If you want to be a part of that, talk to them to my wife. She can help you get involved in that. You can grow spiritually by serving the women in jail. You have the House of Hope, led by Kyle and Natasha. 
And what Saturdays do we go? Second Saturday. We go the second Saturday of every month. We go to House of Hope and we minister to the people who are underprivileged on the east side of Homa. We have APOR, a place of restoration. What a great ministry to support and great ministry that God uses to help men grow spiritually. You have women's restoration led, oh, APOR is led by Kevin Laughlin. And then you have women's restoration led by Albert and Loretta Perron. And they are getting that started. We've talked about that. They are, God is sending in the finances. And God's going to take the ladies, I'm believing. God's going to take the ladies that my wife and these ladies visit at Ashland Jail. And we're going to start seeing a connection. Where they're going to they're be able to go to the women's restoration. Because they're going to be, my wife's crying, my wife's crying, my wife's crying. But that's really good. That's powerful. Look, I just have to say this. I'm, I know it's late. Just hang in there. We're almost done. I'm going to pray for you. But look, my wife started going to jail and going there. And I have to say, I have to say, I have to say, well, she didn't go to jail because she committed a crime. But you started wanting to go. And, and, and the first time, it was not a good for, for, for my schedule. It shows you how much I need to be like Christ. And, like, and she was going to go for a few hours, and I had stuff to do. And then it happened again the next month. And But I just have to say that God's doing a work there. And God, and as I was talking, as I was saying that, you know, the Lord is going to use that to connect women to women's restoration. I'm believing that. Another area is LWC Outreach, led by Vern and Tina. Vern and Tina are our outreach leaders there. Vern is our outreach pastor. And we saw the Easter egg hunt here. And we're going to see the pumpkin patch in October, and we're going to see when there's a disaster in our region, we're going to see a team that's going to go. And it's a great opportunity to get involved. If you want to get involved and grow in your spiritual life, serve with LWC Outreach. And then lastly, LWC Missions, led by Clyde and Teresa. We're going to Albania. I'm, I'm going, and uh, Matt Carnes is going, Matt Semaha is going, and, and, and a team with Clyde and Teresa. We're going to Albania in May. We're going to go for eight, nine days, and we take trips throughout the year. We, we take short-term trips, but we, we also support missionaries all around the world, and Clyde and Teresa do an amazing job. You can get involved in missions. So look, that's 22 things. I, I triple-checked, quadruple-checked that I didn't miss anybody. I think I got everything in the church. What an amazing blessing, and God uses all of these areas to help you grow spiritually. So I have this last paragraph I want to read to you. We all need to rub elbows together. We need to serve together. We need to unify together around biblical truth. The more we force ourselves into life-giving relationships within the body of Christ, the more difficult it becomes for us to fly under the radar and struggle alone. Amen? Would you stand to your feet with me? Amen. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, that you do want us to mature in the faith. God, I thank you, first of all, God, that those that know you, God, we are justified before you. And it's not based upon the foundation of our own works, but God, it's based upon the gift of grace. Through our faith, God, you give us the very righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you, God, that, that you have set us and launched us into this journey, this process of becoming more and more like you. God, I thank you for your word that transforms us and washes us and renews us. I thank you for the power of prayer 
God, that we can pray for each other, that, 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 that we can lift up each other in prayer. God, I thank you for the fellowship and the encouragement of the body of Christ that you use each and every day in our life to help us to grow spiritually. God, I pray that that part of our DNA will never change, that we will always be about seeing believers in Christ mature in the faith. I thank you for that, Lord. God, and I pray that you'd help each and every one. God, I know there can be some here this morning that are struggling in their faith, that they're discouraged, they're overwhelmed. I just want to pray for you, just with every head bowed, every eyes closed, no one looking around. If you're struggling here this morning, if you're a believer here this morning and you're struggling, maybe you're struggling with sin and temptation. Maybe you've had, you got an area in your life that you feel, I just, I'm having a hard time overcoming. Maybe you're just, you're, you're struggling with being depressed and filled with anxiety. Whatever area you're struggling, if you're struggling here this morning and, and you want me to pray for you, I just want you to lift your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come down. I just want to pray for you. Just lift, just lift your hand. You're struggling here this morning. Yes. Yes. Amen. This, everyone, let's lift, let's lift our hands all together and let's pray. Let's pray for each other. Pray for these people like you'd want somebody to pray for you. God, we lift up every person here this morning that is struggling in their life, in their spiritual life. Whatever area it is, sin, temptation, discouragement, anxiety, fear. God, we lift them up. God, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would fill them this morning and that they would be infused with spiritual strength this morning. I pray that they would leave encouraged. They'd leave knowing that you're with them and you're not going to leave them and you're not going to forsake them. God, I thank you for your work in their life today. God, those that are struggling with with the same temptation and sin, God, I pray that you'd set them free by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that they would connect with a brother or a sister that can hold them accountable to that change. I thank you for what you're doing in our body. I thank you for living word, church. Lord, bless your people. Strengthen them today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. You are dismissed. See you Easter Sunday.